listening to a podcast from The National. The Caspian Sea is the biggest enclosed body of water on Earth. But depending on who you ask, it's either the largest lake in the world or a small inland sea. Either way, it has been the topic of discussion among the five countries it borders for the last 20 years. Leaders from the five Caspian states met in Kazakhstan earlier this month to settle the complexities of the issue. Although they have agreed on the legal status of the Caspian Sea, no real headway has been made into the respective country's right to access its resources. Rich in oil and gas, the large body of water falls into a grey area of international legislature. Its sheer size, with its waves, shores and slightly saline water, indicates it is indeed a sea, and therefore subject to the laws governing those bodies of water. But it is disconnected from the world's major oceans and surrounded by land, making many believe it should be considered a lake. That argument has led Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Russia and Iran to argue fiercely over its status and what that means for those countries' access to its bountiful resources. I'm Nasr al-Wesmi, and this week on Beyond the Headlines, we try to answer the question, when is a sea not a sea? Robin Mills is the CEO of Qamar Energy and the author of The Myth of the Oil Crisis. He joins us from Dubai. Let me start off by asking you what you start your article off with. When is a sea not a sea? Yes, and that's the curious case of the Caspian, which looks very much like a sea. I mean, it's large. It's almost as big as the Baltic or the Red Sea. It's salty, although not as salty as, as the uh, the world's oceans. It has waves, tides, seagoing kind of creatures, sturgeon and, and so on. And uh, but, but yes, it is, uh, it's not connected to the oceans and therefore technically it's considered a lake, the world's largest salt lake. And this is, uh, you know, though we call it the Caspian Sea, so you know, geographers would still call it a lake. And this difficult kind of legal status has, um, has always been a bit of a puzzle over the Caspian. Um, even more so, I think, because of its kind of geopolitical location. And of course, it was... Um, most of the 20th century, it was between the Soviet Union and Iran, and, and pretty much the Soviet Union dominated it. Uh, um, Iran had, had access to the surface waters, but, but no more. But of course, after the breakup of the Soviet Union, the situation was very different. I mean, there's now five countries around it, not just Iran, but also Russia, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, and Turkmenistan, all having different opinions and different positions on, on what the Caspian actually is and who should have access to its, its resources. So what is the point of contention exactly? Why, why does it even matter? Well, there are several points of contention, but I think the, the significant one, when we think about the resources, and the Caspian Sea is very rich in, in oil and gas resources. People have been producing oil offshore of the Caspian since 1950. It's one of the world's oldest offshore producing areas. But really, who has the rights to produce this oil, this oil and gas is very much dependent on the legal situation. Because legally, if it's a lake, then all of the, the, uh, all of the states uh, uh, around it would have, have, have an equal share of its... Uh, uh, of its resources, whereas if it's a sea, you would split the the, uh, the area of it according to the, the boundaries of the uh, of the states around it. And there are kind of various legal ways of doing this, and, and many of the seas in the world, like the North Sea, for example, which of course has a lot of oil, has been split between Norway, UK, Netherlands, Germany, and, and Denmark, and the other states. Really, are mostly on what they call the median line. So it's basically you look at the, the two coastlines, you pick a point equidistant between them, uh, and, and that's where you draw the boundary. And of course, there are, there are various rules in international law about how you do this and, and the effect of islands. If you have an, 
one country owns an island in that area. Uh, countries, of course, can, can negotiate special arrangements. And, and these disputes often go on for many decades of exactly where the border should be. Um, but for the Caspian, it's particularly difficult because it, it was, it's not even been agreed what is, what is the principle. Is it a lake, in which case everybody has an equal share, or is it a sea, in which case the, the, the countries have to go through this process of negotiation? Now, in 2003, Kazakhstan, Russia, and, and Azerbaijan, which, uh, which kind of on the north and the western side of the, of the Caspian, they agreed their boundaries more or less according to this median line principle, and they've been producing oil and gas uh, quite successfully from their areas. 2015, Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan agreed. So this really leaves two outstanding borders, which is the one between, um, in, well, three, I guess. The one is between Iran and its neighbors, I, Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan, and then the other one is between Azerbaijan and, and Turkmenistan. And, and those are not settled, and there are a number of fields and possible fields on that borderline, which, which are disputed, and so no development can really go ahead until they reach agreement on, on where the border should be. Um, the other angle on this is also on pipelines. Uh, again, there was a dispute whether um, if countries want to build a pipeline, is it okay just for the countries concerned to agree on a pipeline going under the Caspian? Uh, or do all five countries have to agree on, on, a, on, where this, on, on approving a pipeline through the Caspian waters? Uh, and again, Caspian, of course, is very geographically significant and it's very hard, for example, for Turkmenistan to get uh, its very large gas resources to Turkey or to Europe, it's, which are potential markets, without building a pipeline under the Caspian, which, which then it has to get agreement from, from Azerbaijan, Iran, or and possibly the others. We'll get to uh, the pipelines in a second, but I wanted to talk about Iran uh, specifically. Can Iran is Iran drilling right now? Uh, I mean, what is it struggling with with the other countries around the Caspian Sea? What kind of agreements have they settled out, if any? Well, Iran um, faces a number of difficulties. Uh, and I said that all, all the other countries on the Caspian are producing oil and gas from, from offshore areas in the Caspian, particularly Kazakhstan, and also Azerbaijan have very large fields, oil and gas fields, Turkmenistan also to an extent, and, and Russia to an extent. Iran is not. Iran has discovered a, at least one field in its area of the Caspian, but, but not been able to develop it so far. And this is really enough from a number of reasons. Iran has the deepest part of the Caspian. I mean, the north, northern Caspian is very shallow, only a few meters deep in, in many places. The south Caspian goes down to about 1,000 meters deep, which is uh, deep enough to be reasonably challenging for, for oil and gas uh, exploration. It's very hard to get a drilling rig into the Caspian because drilling rigs normally sail around the world's oceans and, and there's no sea route into the Caspian. So either countries have to build their own drilling rigs in the Caspian that then are stuck there, or they have to take them apart and bring them through canals and so on and get them in, which is expensive and, and difficult. And of course, Iran has been under sanctions, and this has made it very difficult for international companies to work there and bring their expertise. So Iran has discovered one field in its area of the Caspian, it seems to be a very large field, but hasn't moved on with developing it. Um, and so it's not producing anything, and it hasn't been able to establish its right to produce oil and gas by actually doing anything, uh, unlike the other countries. It has tried to make things difficult for its neighbors, particularly Azerbaijan. Uh, there's a famous incident back in 2001 when a BP survey vessel was working for Azerbaijan, surveying a, a possible uh, uh, oil field, and uh, Iranian gunboats came and forced it to stop work, and, and since then there's, there's been no further work in that area. Could you elaborate a little bit about the controversy over the Trans-Caspian oil and gas pipelines? 
Yeah, so this is a pipeline that has been out there as a concept for, for a long time, probably for two decades at least. Turkmenistan is a, is a massive holder of, of gas reserves, something like, the, uh, if you go on its official figures, something like the, uh, the fourth biggest in the world after Russia itself, Iran, and, uh, and Qatar. Um, so a very large gas resource holder, but pretty inconveniently located in, in the middle of Central Asia. So Turkmenistan used to send its gas to Europe through Russia. The Russians cut off that route because they, they didn't uh, want to have competition in Europe. Turkmenistan has now built a pipeline to China, so it does have one way to export its gas to China, but it's always been interested in developing new export routes. It used to send some gas to Iran. Now Iran is pretty much self-sufficient, doesn't need its gas anymore. And so the concept has been there that Turkmenistan could build a pipeline across the Caspian Sea going, uh, going west. That pipeline would then go through Azerbaijan, uh, Georgia, Turkey, and then potentially on from Turkey on, onto Europe. The Europeans have been very keen on this because they, they saw this as a way to bring a lot of non-Russian gas into, into the EU and help diversify their supplies away from Russia. There's been a long-standing concern that the that uh, the EU buys too much of its gas from Russia and is vulnerable to being cut off at some point, or the Russians using their, their economic leverage to, to gain some political points. Um, and so the EU has been looking for gas from various sources, and, and one place it was looking at was Turkmenistan. But this, this pipeline's never really gone anywhere um, for a number of reasons, partly because Azerbaijan doesn't particularly want to uh, make life easy for a competitor. Azerbaijan also sells gas to Turkey and and uh, it's going to sell it on to, the, on to Europe uh, in the near future. Um, the Turkmen also have never, never been quite, quite, quite clear about what they wanted uh, and never maybe pushed this pipeline uh, uh, as clearly and as hard as they would need to, to get it to work. And, of course, then the disputed legal issue of the Caspian, where uh, it was never clear would the Turkmen have to get approval from everybody around the sea for this pipeline, including Russia and Iran, and, of course, not Russia and Iran don't want this pipeline to happen because it would it mean competition for them. Um, now, this new convention that was, that was reached uh, this month uh, in Kazakhstan between the five countries appears to say that, okay, Turkmenistan would only need to agree with Azerbaijan, not the others. Um, so that potentially clears the way. However, it's still a very long way from Turkmenistan to, to Turkey and certainly to Europe. And there's a big question mark, would this pipeline even be economically viable? even now it's potentially got the, the uh, legal go-ahead. And now that the sanctions are being put in place against Iran, how does that change the dynamic, uh, the nexus in the Caspian Sea? Does it affect Iran in any way? Well, I think it does. And I think that's, um, that's partly why we've seen this agreement actually happen now. Uh, Iran is obviously under pressure from sanctions. And, and those sanctions are going to tighten in November when, when more U.S. measures come in. Iran is in serious disputes with several of its neighbors and, uh, um, and obviously various uh, regional conflicts in Syria and Yemen and so on, so on which, which uh, Iran and some of its neighbors are, are involved in. Uh, and I think Iran sees, sees this agreement partly as a way to solve some problems up north and therefore at least kind of reduce its worries there and enable it, enable it to concentrate on, on other threats. And partly Iran was in a weak, weaker position, a weaker negotiating position, and that's allowed Russia in particular to push through uh, a Russian agenda, which, which the Iranians perhaps wouldn't have agreed to uh, uh, so, so willingly if they'd been in a strong position. 
So, you know, Iran is concerned, for example, that there aren't any foreign military forces in the Caspian, and this new agreement says that only the five countries on the Caspian can, can have military forces there. Um, it, uh, it, it's been criticized on that grounds because some Iranians say this allows, effectively allows Russian forces to rule the whole Caspian as, a, as they did in Soviet times, but Iran has kind of had to accept that. Um, and, um, and Iran has, in, uh, has in, a sense, in a sense, perhaps made some concessions effectively to Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan, you know, as we discussed over the pipeline issue or the development of shared fields. But again, it's better, it feels it's better to have those countries more or less on side rather than, uh, rather than have them potentially unhappy and, uh, uh, and, and then you've got unfriendly activity against, against Iran. Um, Iran also needs Russia's support in Syria and, all, and Russia's support against sanctions, um, and therefore it's had to make some, some concessions to, to Russia's viewpoint in the Caspian. So I think for all these reasons, the Iranians have, have been a bit pushed into this deal. I mean, they have some good reasons for doing it, but that they, uh, uh, they would have not done a deal at all, or they would have got a better deal from their point of view if they'd been in a stronger position and not been under this the sanction threat. So why is it that Russia... Uh well, why is it that Iran is arguing that Russia would have would basically have dominance over the Caspian Sea? Uh, don't they each have their own equal stake in it? And uh, if, if that's not the case, and Russia is dominant there, does it use its relationship with the surrounding countries to leverage its political influence in the region? Well, Russia, um, I think Russia is, is, is always going to be the dominant force in the Caspian because it's just simply by a long way the biggest country and the most powerful and, and has the most powerful military forces. Um, you know, Iran's military forces, uh, particularly, you know, mostly what, what it does have is, is concentrated more in, you know, naval forces are concentrated in the Gulf. Um, that's a far more of a priority for Iran than, than the Caspian. Um, and, you know, Iran's resources are kind of limited and it can't... Uh, can't be defending on all uh, on all fronts at the same time, um, and, and this convention allows equal access for all the countries to the surface waters of the Caspian. Um, so, so although we're talking about dividing the seabed for oil and gas resources, but but the surface waters are uh, apart from some territorial waters around the coast of each country, um, but the other waters are uh, free of access to all all the countries concerned. Um, and Iran, of course, has a long history with. With Russia and, and not an entirely happy history, and Iranians look back to the 19th century when they lost uh, a very large amount of territory, including modern-day Azerbaijan and pieces of Turkmenistan, which used to be controlled by Iran. They, they lost those to, to the Russian Empire, as it was then. Um, so they, they've always been kind of cautious about their northern neighbour, and uh, to some extent, this this current agreement over the Caspian is uh, is being compared to these past treaties when Iran gave up territory. Now that's made it un, unpopular in Iran. Does what's happening in the Caspian Sea have any effect on the Arab world in any way? Well, I think it has an effect in, in, in a few ways. One is obviously, it's a little bit indirect, but the effect, the diplomatic effect that it has on, has on Iran in, in, uh, in somewhat settling uh, concerns of Iran in the north, but you know, potentially free, frees up Iran a bit for its, the, conflict, the other conflicts in the Arab world, um, in strengthening further Iran's dependent, kind of relationship stroke dependence on Russia. Um, and of course, we've seen Russia getting more and more influential in the Middle East, very influential in Syria, um, but also extending its influence in, in Iraq, working very closely with Saudi Arabia in, in OPEC, um, and, in, and in other Middle Eastern countries also doing more business deals and, and uh, 
and becoming more politically involved. The other impact, I think, which is, is again, not a gigantic one, but is worth thinking about, is, is the impact of extra oil and gas from the Caspian. Um, as I think I made clear, I think that the Trans-Caspian pipeline, getting a lot of gas from Turkmenistan is very difficult. But we could see quite a bit more oil from the Caspian. Um, there are fields in disputed waters which might now be able to be developed and that would bring more oil onto the market, which obviously affects the, the Middle East and oil producers, bring some more competition to them. And then I think the other part of this is, okay, the Caspian is a bit of a special case, um, as we said, because it, it, it's, it's in some ways it's, it's, it's both a sea and a lake, or it's, or it's neither. Um, but there are numerous disputed borders elsewhere in the Middle East, in, in offshore waters, where, again, oil and gas is held up um, by, by such disputes. Um, there are some disputes over, over the northern Gulf between Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Iran. There are disputes in the eastern Mediterranean uh, over borders in, in, in that area where, where large gas fields have been discovered. And these things are holding up development. So to the extent I think there's any moves towards kind of cooperative development or settling these these disputes generally, that again is is more positive news for uh, energy development. And in your article, you mentioned Dubai's uh, role in the Caspian Sea. Could you elaborate on uh, what the Emirates... Uh, influences or what they're doing in, in that part? Yes, I mean, this is really a very interesting story. Dragon Oil uh, in the late 90s entered Turkmenistan. Um, Dragon Oil at that point was a, a publicly listed company um, and developed some offshore oil fields. And, and Emirates, the Emirates National Oil Company, ENOC, which of course is a Dubai government-owned company, um, ended up taking a majority share in Dragon Oil. And, and quite recently, it it took full control, so Dragon Oil is now, now an entirely owned uh, Enoch company. And so Dragon Oil in the late 90s took control of some old Soviet fields. They were not producing very much, um, really neglected Dragon Oil over, over many years, invested a lot in the fields, um, drilled a lot of wells, and, and succeeded in, in uh, increasing production enormously and making this really very large producing uh, asset, producing uh, the, the largest producing oil fields in, in Turkmenistan. Um, so it's been a great success story. It's created a tremendous amount of value for uh, for, for Enoch, um, and, and and that, that story is continuing now, as as I say, with Dragon being a, a wholly owned company of Enoch. Now Dragon also has a lot of gas resources. Um, Petronas, the Malaysian company, which is, has, a, has a block next door to it in the Caspian, also has a lot of gas. Both these companies have been very keen on doing something with this gas. Um, but there's no, there has been no market in Western Turkmenistan to do anything with it, and they couldn't export, um, so they've been, kind of, they've been kind of stuck with this gas. Now, with this convention uh, on the Caspian, it is possible now that we could see that something happening with this gas. You know, I was skeptical on the prospects of the Trans-Caspian pipeline. However, it's possible that what we could see would be a smaller amount of gas going from the, these fields in offshore Western Turkmenistan going to Azerbaijan, maybe being sold in Azerbaijan or, or perhaps getting transited through existing pipelines to Turkey. So not the grand scheme of going to Europe, but, but at least going some of the way and, and getting a market. And, and this obviously would be making productive use of some gas that currently uh, has to be burned off. Thanks to Robin Mills. Also, thanks to Kevin Jeffers for producing. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to receive new episodes each week. You can find us on your preferred podcasting app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audioboom. Also, follow along with the developments in the Middle East on our website, thenational.ae. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening.